You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. All right. Well, good morning. My name is Ben Anderson. I'm an associate pastor at the church. Uh, Pastor Al is actually on vacation this week, and he will be back on Tuesday. So I have the privilege of sharing with you from God's Word this morning. I'm excited uh, to do so. Over the last couple of weeks, well, really last three weeks, Pastor Al has been sharing us about foundations. Uh, In the Foundation series, uh, we've been looking at what a foundation is, and a foundation is a tenet or a principle on something which everything else comes from. It's the ground on which we build our houses and so many other things stand firm on. One of the things that Sarah and I have enjoyed over the years is uh, renovating and living in old homes. And if you guys have ever seen the movie The Money Pit, which is a really, really old one, that is our current home. It is a money pit. You know, we've lived there about five years, and right after we moved in, I got a call from our electrician. He said, Ben, there is a beautiful water feature in the basement. I said, well, we didn't purchase that with the house, but there ended up being a lot of issues with the foundation, right? We had to get that fixed. But if we do not have the proper foundation in life, it's rough. Things fall apart. And in our house, that foundation, while it was costly and things happened, it affected other things as well. In our Christian life, Jesus Christ is our foundation, and all that we value and all that we stand for, everything that we do in the Christian life should rest on Him. Uh, Over the last few weeks, Pastor Al, he's talked to us about grace, which is an important foundational principle. He's talked about real Christianity, what it means to really follow Christ and what that looks like. And last week, he talked about the Trinity, right, which is a little tricky, a little mind-boggler, right? But today, we're going to look at holy character, specifically how we as Christians can grow in this holy character. But I want to start out by defining what holy character is. So if you check out the screens, holy character is, because of Jesus, I am able to live a life of moral and spiritual excellence by resisting sin and yielding to God. So growing in holy character means that we say yes to God and no to sin, and every time that we do that, uh, we are spiritually formed, it strengthens our inner man, and we are transformed more and more and more into the image of Jesus. You know, the fancy theological term for that is called sanctification. And I think in America, especially American Christians, we really, really struggle with this idea. We spend so much time trying to emulate and copy and do what the world does that we're losing our distinguishing marks as Christian. You know, holy character is not the priority that it once was. So as we talk about holy character this morning, I have a question that I want you to kind of tuck in the back of your head and kind of filter everything through this morning that we talk about. And here's the question. Have I allowed the world and its culture 
to infiltrate my mind and my heart. You know, we need to use the next few moments and even this coming week to check our character for leaks, check our character for issues. And this is why holy character is so, so important. Everything that we do as Christians will be watered down. And here's another statement I want to share with you. Everything that we do to serve and to reach out to those around us will be undermined if growing in holiness is not a priority. It has to be a priority so that when the world looks at us, they can say, hey, there is something different about this group of people. They're not the same as us. They are different. They have to be able to look at us and see Jesus in all that we do. And if not, everything that we do for the kingdom will not be as effective. It'll be shallow. It won't have the impact that it could potentially have unless we have holy character. So our main passage this morning is going to be out of 1 Peter. It's chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. And this is a passage about holiness that I really believe we all need to internalize and take to heart. And it gives us very clear guidance for how we can grow in holy character. But I want to kind of set the passage up for you guys a little bit. Peter is the author here, and he is writing uh, to Christians that are spread around various Roman provinces uh, at the time, right? It's a very pagan society, uh, lots of issues. Even the Christians at this time, many of them didn't have the death because they came from that pagan way of life. There's lots of persecution. But what Peter does, he encourages them. The first uh, part of this chapter, he reminds them of their salvation and the living hope that they have that will help them better grow in holiness. So let's look at 1 Peter 1, 13 through 17. Therefore, referring back to the previous verses, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So over the course of the next few minutes, we're going to look at three different ways that we can grow in holy character. But before we dive into those few verses, I want us to define holiness just a little bit more. In verses 15 and 16 here, explain that God calls us to salvation and holiness. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we become holy. We become a holy people. We are set apart by God's grace. God makes us holy because he is holy. And I'm going to throw out another fancy word or theological term. That is justification. Our position with God as his child makes us a holy people. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit 
of our God. We are set apart and holy because of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins, because of the blood that he shed, we are holy. It's nothing that we did on our own, but isn't that a huge relief? We need to yield to God and let him do his part. I love this quote from uh, Pastor Mark Moore. Pastor Robin actually shared this in his Easter devotional uh, leading up to Easter this year, and it says this, our holiness is God's gift to us, not our gift to him. But we cannot stop there. Once we are saved by grace, God wants us to continue to work in our lives to make us holy and more like Jesus. And this is the process of sanctification, the continuing work of God in our lives to become holy. One of my favorite passages about this is 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we continue to grow in holiness over time until Jesus comes back. And that's when our character and when will be made complete. Until then, there's a lack of holiness because we are broken and we're messy people. That's just how we come out of the box, right? So let's go ahead, let's dive in. I have three quick points for you guys this morning. Number one is holy people focus on Christ's coming. As holy set-apart people, we are supposed to stay focused on the end. We're supposed to keep our eyes on the prize. We're supposed to stay focused on God's final work of grace in us. But this is hard because we get distracted by life, we get distracted by circumstances and other things that aren't as important. 1 Peter 1.13, we just read, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the first statement that I want us to look at here is preparing your minds for action. Notice these first few words. Our focus on Christ and growing in holiness starts in the mind. Now, what's really interesting and neat about this phrase is in some of your versions, it probably says, gird up the loins of your mind. So I want to talk a little bit about what this means. So girding up the loins of your mind, back in ancient times, to gird up your loins meant to, well, people wore very long clothing, right? The men of the time typically had an outer layer uh, that was really long, it was baggy, it covered what they were wearing, and to gird up the loins was a stance to get ready, to prepare, to get ready for battle, to get ready for something strenuous, to get ready to move quickly. So they have this long flowing garment, and what they would do, they pull it up, they kind of take it through their legs, and then they tie it around and strap it into their belt so that they could move around quicker, they could have a really firm stance and prepare for whatever was about to come. So they were girding up their loins, so when Peter is writing here, he's saying you prepare your mind for action by girding up the loins of your mind. Well, we are not physically girding up our loins. We are mentally preparing for spiritual battle. And I want to share this with you. What you think 
in your mind often becomes a reality in your life. So in other words, if we don't prepare our minds for action, we will lose the spiritual battle. Another way of saying this is we need to tackle sin in our thought life. We need to tackle sin in our mind. But it's really hard to clean up our minds sometimes. As I was thinking about, you know, just tackling sin in your mind, I was thinking of a couple examples. You know, for those of us who have children, think about when you're on the verge of getting like really angry and really frustrated with them, right? They do something stupid or silly and it almost puts you over the edge. You're thinking that thought in your head and you, you either lash out or you almost lash out. But to capture sin in our minds, we need to confess, we need to repent, we need to replace that thought with truth from God's word. You know, other things that happen in our mind, it could be a lustful thought that's not appropriate. That starts in the mind of what we need to do. We need to repent. We need to confess. We need to capture that thought and make it pleasing to God and replace with truth from God's word. It could even be as simple as some sort of prideful attitude, right? Oh, man, I'm going to be really great at this, or I got this, or I'm way better at this than that person. No, we need to confess. We need to replace that with truth from God's way. The best way to gird up your loins for battle, to gird up the loins of your mind for battle, is with truth. you got to be in God's Word. You can't replace sinful thoughts unless you know God's Word and unless you know truth. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I love that. It doesn't just say any thought. It doesn't just say some thoughts or our favorite thoughts or thoughts on Sunday mornings when we're at church. It literally is saying take every thought that we have throughout the week captive and make that pleasing to Christ so that we can obey him. The second phrase I want us to look at is sober-minded. This is another important idea to stay focused on Christ's coming. And Peter actually uses this word, sober-minded, quite often. He uses it three times in Peter, and it's only used like six times in the Old Testament. But sober-minded probably means what you think it means, and that means not drunk. So the opposite of being drunk and not sober-minded is alert and self-controlled, and that really is the spiritual application for us. First Peter 5.8, uh, I think Seth uh, referenced this verse earlier uh, during his, the mission focus this morning, but it says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. As Christians, we always need to be alert because our adversary is waiting to pounce. Proverbs 25, 28. This is a, a great passage about self-control. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So in other words, in ancient times, you know, the fortress, the walls were so important, right? It protected their city, it protected the people. And if there were no walls, say, after an attack, the city would be exposed. 
And uh, what they're saying in this passage is, in our life, self-control is a wall of protection around what we do. So we don't go off and respond in a way that we shouldn't or go crazy or whatever the case may be. Rather than being controlled by outside circumstances and responding to all these different things that come at us in a way that we shouldn't, the follower of Jesus should be guided by self-control and remembering the coming of Jesus Christ. The last phrase of uh, this first verse here in uh, verse 13 says, set your hope fully on the grace. Our focus and hope in Christ's coming is absolutely grounded in grace. This is our motivation to grow in holy character. You know, as Christians, we've already experienced grace when we accepted Jesus into our hearts as our personal Lord and Savior, and we need to continue to grow on a daily basis and keep our mind on that future grace as we're motivated to grow in holy character. So we grow in holy character when we keep our mind focused on Christ's coming by preparing our minds for battle, by girding up our loins, right? By being self-controlled and grounded in grace. The second point I want to share with you is holy people strive for obedience. Holy people strive for obedience. When we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts as our personal Lord and Savior, we change. We become a different person. We become holy. You know, as we talked about earlier, the old way of life that we used to live begins to fade away. This doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect because we're going to struggle with sin our entire lives. But our entire lives should be in the process of becoming completely conformed to God's perfect and holy will. And remember, we cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So the challenge here is not to slip back into the old way of life, not to slip into the old ruts of sin, which are thick, they can still be seen in our lives. But now that we met Jesus, we know better. We no longer have that ignorance about us. But guys, I know some of these ruts are so deep, they're thick, they're etched into our lives, and it seems so, so impossible to get through these. And I know because I talked to many of you throughout the week about these things. But it is impossible if we try to be holy and live in obedience on our own. We cannot do it in our own strength. We need to let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. We must break away from the old way of life. You know, some of you might now might be thinking, but Ben, I've been saved my entire life. I haven't had many big issues my old way of life isn't much different. And I want to caution you. I want to challenge you. This is a very dangerous spot to be in because the reality of what God has done in your life has not touched you in a really real and powerful way. So here's a question that is helpful to think about. 
It's this, what would my life be like right now if Jesus had not transformed my life? What would my life be like right now if Jesus hadn't changed my life? You know, my story is probably similar to many in this room. You know, I grew up in a Christian household. I was saved at a young age, around five years old, and I've shared that story with you guys in the past. I was, you know, I was homeschooled, right? That's a check of uh, growing up in a Christian household. And, you know, it wasn't really until high school that I really dedicated my life to uh, serving God, and that was on a missions trip to Grenada. But it's been a good life, right? But one of the things that I do to remind myself of God's grace and how he's worked in my life is I sometimes go through this exercise of thinking, what would my life be like if God hadn't transformed it? You know, one of the things that, you know, I've always struggled with is, uh, especially as at younger age than I am now, is anger and frustration. You know, responding to people and situations in ways that I shouldn't. And I think right now I would be probably a very angry person. I would be bitter at life if Jesus hadn't transformed my life. I'd probably be a workaholic. I would be pursuing more. I would be pursuing money and fame and all these things that don't really matter in life. Who knows? Maybe I would be divorced and I wouldn't have a family. Maybe, you know, I don't know what it would look like, but I am sure I would be lonely. I would lack purpose. Probably wouldn't have too many friends. I wouldn't have a church community that I could really rely on. But that's what my story could have been. But because of God's grace in my life, it is not. I'm not stuck in those old ruts, in those old ways of life. I'm not pursuing those passions of, of old, but I'm growing in holy character and striving to be obedient in every area of life. Romans 2.12 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And there it is again. Do not be conformed to this world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And as holy people, our lifestyles should reflect our heavenly fathers. As children of our heavenly father, we strive to be obedient and we strive to reflect his holy character. This takes us to our third and last point this morning, and that is holy people fear God. How you and I grow in holy character is motivated by a proper fear of God in a God-fearing faith. 1 Peter 1.17, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So it's clear here that holy people who are focused on Christ coming back and striving for obedience understand God's character. And we see a little bit here about God's character in the verse, a couple things I want to highlight. But the first thing in verse 17 that we see is God judges impartially, meaning God will be completely fair. He won't show any favoritism toward anyone at the final judgment. We also see that God judges according to what we do or our deeds. 
meaning we will be judged based on how we live our lives and what we accomplish and do for him. But based on everything that we know about God's character and what he's done for us, that should motivate us to fear God as we live life as foreigners in this world. But I want to spend a few minutes here talking about what does it mean to really fear God? What does it mean to fear God? And in its probably the most simplest form, fearing God means to properly respond to who God is and what he has done for us. But I want to walk us through quite a few uh, scripture passages on what it means to fear God. So here's the first one. Psalm 33, 8. It says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So we see here, all the earth is to fear God, and all the earth is to be in awe of God. Psalms 36, 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. So here's kind of the flip side. The wicked do not fear God. It's not even a thought, right? It's not even in their purview. It's not even a thought in their mind. They don't even understand what fearing God is. That was Psalms 36.1. Romans 14.11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God eventually everyone is going to fear God. Everyone will give an account to God for their life. Psalms 89.7, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. The believer fears God because he is awesome. He is preeminent. He is above all. That is one of the reasons why we fear a God, because he is awesome. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We know that as followers of Jesus, we are to fear God, and this brings wisdom about spiritual things. Fools despise wisdom. They despise instruction. We cannot gain knowledge of spiritual things if we start in the wrong point, and that is not fearing God. I believe it's re- it can be hard for our human mind to really grasp what fearing God is about, but it's about awe, it's about devotion, it's about worshiping and trusting and obeying and serving a holy God. And I, we're going to spend the last few minutes here talking about what, it, what can we do If we're struggling and maybe we have the wrong perspective of a holy fear of God, and what does that look like? How should we fear God? One of the best things that we can do if we are struggling with having a proper understanding of fearing God is find a scripture, find a passage, find a section of a chapter in the Bible that leads you to the Holy One, that leads you to God. And this can be any passage in your life that God uses to reveal his character to you, and you can respond to that. One of mine is Ephesians uh, 3, chapter 20 through 21, where it talks about how God can do immeasurably more 
in our life. And when I think about that and I think about his power and all that he can do, you know, that leads me to a holy fear of God. It leads me to humility and a proper response. So I challenge you guys, think of that passage that leads you to the holy God. So as you and I grow in holy character by having a proper response to who God is, that's fear of God, by striving in obedience and growing in holy character as we focus on Christ's coming, all those things together should lead to holiness. And as I think about how we should respond to, you know, a message on holy character, you know, there's a couple of things that I think of. You know, the first thing that I think of is that we do not respond to holiness in a wrong way because of not having enough information, right? We have God's Word. We have the Holy Spirit in our life that empowers us to change. But I think we lack the will to change. And I think prayer is a great place to start. And as we prepare for the invitation this morning and as Robin comes uh, and leads us in a song, I have two things that I want us to think about. The first is, I think we need to pray. We need to pray and ask God to change our hearts, to change our mind, to change our will. As it says in Psalms, Lord, create in me a clean heart. If we've struggled with holiness, maybe we've been living in a way that's not obedient to him. Maybe we've been struggling in a proper view of who God is and what he's done in our life. Let's pray about it. There is not a better place to start. The second thing that I want to challenge you in is let's check our holy character. Let's check our character. Are there any leaks in your character today? And this, we know from this passage that we are to be obedient in all areas, not just some, not just a couple, not just a few, but in all areas of life. So I want to challenge you, think about those different areas. How's your family life? How's your relationship with your spouse? How's your relationship with your kids? Is there an area for growth there? How's your work life? How's your physical life? Maybe uh, you have a relationship within the church that's damaged. Well, pray about that. We need to work on that. How's your computer life? Maybe you're looking at things that you shouldn't be. God needs to use that in your life to reveal something to you. But check your character for leaks, and that will allow us to grow in holy character. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.